Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined once again by Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well, well rested up with this holiday weekend, and you? Not too bad. Yeah, same. It does feel like a little bit of a breather. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Chicago not having a home game this weekend was a little bit nice. It was nice to just be able to chill at home, watch some soccer games. Um, we got another full slate. We have, uh, we'll end up talking about two U.S. Women's National Team games, and then we will get into the NWSL action. Uh, same question as always before we jump into the first U.S. Women's National Team friendly. Pardeep, how did this week feel? It, were, it felt for me like, oh man, the Olympics sure are happening, aren't they? Yeah, it was, it was again, the combination of the busyness uh, that we'll be seeing all month long and also worth mentioning this was the weather delay week another one right where yeah. we just have more weather just too much weather weekend. too much mm-hmm. weather arguably too much i agree yes. um so we're just going to go chronologically seems like uh, what we've been doing and the best way to go about this so let's start with on thursday night the u.s women's national team uh, this is the 18-player roster plus Katarina Macario, who is in her offseason. Uh, Vladko Andonovsky made the choice to keep alternates in NWSL markets this weekend. They will be joining the team. Um, well, I'm sure they're joining the team now, actually. Um, so I think, first of all, I think that that's cool. I think that we've seen a shift in that mentality this year where the where whether it is Kate Markgraf or Vladko Andonovsky they are trying to keep players in NWSL markets as much as possible. And I think that that's great. And that's kind of was the hope, right? When, yeah. when he was hired. Um, so this U S women's national team played Mexico in Connecticut on Thursday night. Uh, they won four to nothing on goals from Sam Mewis, a brace from Kristen press and a real just kind of iconic return from, <laughs> from Tobin Heath, Galazzo from Tobin Heath. Uh, so, my thought on this to kind of kick us off is this game ended for nothing. Right. But it felt closer than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like, yeah, the scoreline, I don't think reflected the game that much credit to Mexico for keeping things quite tight. It wasn't, I have to say, I usually find what those high scoreline games from the USWNT to be a little bit boring, but this one definitely wasn't. No, I thought Mexico played really well, especially in the first half. And it was something where I think it wasn't until maybe like a half hour in that, that, maybe that's not actually entirely true, but I think that it was back and forth in a nice way. I thought Maria Sanchez in particular has had a very good game and was continuing kind of her streak in, in the States after a good run with the Houston dash. Um, But it was just one of those things, right. Where Mexico is very confident on the ball. They have a project that they are building. You know, they have always been very good in the youth tournaments and they're under the, the new, the new coach and they are being a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more aggressive in their scheduling. And I think that showed, I think that the cool thing here is yes, ended for nothing, but you can see the future in this Mexico program. And I think that that's awesome. Um, just talking about some U.S. stuff, though. Christy Mewis got the start, and I thought played pretty well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then she combined with her sister for a goal, which was pretty great. But, I mean, she basically made the – she, again, demonstrated. She didn't make the case this time. Obviously, she's already made it. But she demonstrated the case of why she's there. Right. She 
Right. If you're focusing on the now, Christine is the perfect person to go in. She can do she can do a job against almost any team. Mm-hmm. She is pretty reliable going forward. So, you know, she like like we mentioned, she had a great game. Uh, I think she probably because of the congested schedule, if we're just going to be looking ahead a little bit, will be in contention to probably start some matches. Agreed. Um I think you're right. I think that that is why she made the roster is because she, there is never going to be a game where you think to yourself, Oh, well, Christy Mew has kind of disappeared. Like that's just not going to happen. And I think that that is really useful, especially as they want to be very careful with Rose Lavelle, especially going into this tournament. Um, And they have other responsibilities, right. As they bring really Julie Ertz back, back into the fold where you have Lindsay Horan having to play a little bit further back. Um, Other things, you know, Kristen Press kept her hot streak going. Really yeah. nice game from her. Um, I'm trying to think Even of other most consistent attacking player for the USWNT right now. Yeah, agreed. She she's playing some of the best soccer of her career right now, and it's it's paid it pays dividends for them because it is sort of that will to win kind of a thing. And the US has a baseline of the standard of play that they are trying to set, and what happens when you have a player playing that well is that's kind of the magic, right? Of even when you're not having the best game, a player like that can really elevate you. Um, the one other thing, this is, this is just, you know, I, the one thing that really caught my eye though, in terms of versatility and looks that we might see in Tokyo was I actually want to talk a little bit about Tierna Davidson coming into play at left back. Cause she got an assist on, on press's second goal. And it was a lovely ball from the wing. And the thing that I think is interesting about bringing Tierna Davidson in at left back, other than she hasn't really for a while, it's so funny that they don't do these things. And then suddenly they're like, ah, yes, you can do that too. Um, is she's a very different kind of player, right. Than crystal Dunn, which is crystal Dunn is very confident on the ball. She's someone that you want on the ball and advancing the ball um, through dribbling it forward, but Tierna Davidson's long ball distribution is some of the best in, in the U S I think, in, in my opinion, from a center back position, or even from a left back position. And she kind of showed what she can do there in terms of some of that long ball distribution. So do you think party we might see theoretically, hopefully something like that Tierna Davidson playing left back and crystal them playing a little bit further forward. Possibly. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? I yeah. feel like I feel like if you're gonna try it now, it seems within the realm of possibilities that it could happen. Tina Davidson had a she did a really good job back there. She she's very versatile. I really like watching her play. Um, yeah, I think if he she will be a great option either against certain teams from the start, or you know, if you want to mix things up in the sometime in the middle of a game. I I like that they have this option. I kind of wish we'd seen more of it before. Right. Just because, I, I don't know. It, it does seem weird that all of a sudden, oh, hey, like weeks before the Olympics, you can do this too. But right. obviously they've definitely been practicing this. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think that it is one of those things where you – the U S is able to unlock some of those options. And you're like, Oh man, if you're a team playing this team and you think to yourself, well, 
oh dear, we have to deal with Crystal Dunn on the left wing. And then halfway through the game, they bring Tierna Davidson in and Crystal Dunn is suddenly a, a forward or a midfielder. You're like, gosh, there's, it's so hard. It's so hard to play this team. Yeah. Um, so final thought about this game uh, has to go to Tobin Heath, right? <laughs> she comes on, she looks good. She does, it's like in the, within the first minute of her subbing on, she sends a ball, she sends a ball in uh, from way back and, and, and gets a goal and you're just like, Oh, well she's doing okay. Right. Yeah. Welcome back. Tobin Heath. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think look, we've talked about the whole bringing injured players to the Olympics thing, but I don't, I don't really think Tobin Heath is the one people are as worried about as Julie Ertz. I'm also not sure Tobin Heath is injured really, you know, right. she's just not. I, yeah. She just hasn't played games in a while. Right. It's the match fitness at this right. point. I, I mean, the first really genuine update we got about her fitness was when she got called into the June camp and they were like, well, she'll, she's good to train. She's just not going to play. And then we got the other update. Okay. She'll play during the send off series. She, right. Like it just seems a thing of match fitness. And she also scored a goal within seconds of coming in. I was like, don't worry too much. <laughs> <laughs> right agreed but other after i mean other than that though she also looked pretty good yeah looked like somebody who has been working on the fitness off the uh outside of games and now will be ready to build it during these matches and probably during the group stage it seems i mean we were talking about this i think last week when it's like how do you integrate julia how do you get her match fit but I, that question doesn't really exist for tobin heath who now seems healthy on top of that will have some minutes under her belt before she gets to Japan anyway. So, my gosh, we're talking about Crystal Dunn possibly being an option at some point going forward. We're talking about Tobin Heath now being there, ready to go, just about Kristen Press being in the form of her life. And you have to think, too, I know it's not the same position, but in terms of, of player quality and sort of the what they bring, you have to think that having Tobin Heath there also takes a little bit of the pressure off Rose Lavelle. Because yeah. as, as someone who you probably don't want starting every single game, you want to keep her healthy. Um, and like I said, not the same position, but sort of what they bring to some of that creativity and playmaking ability. I think that you having Tobin Heath means that it's not really all sitting on Rose Lavelle to be that creative player. Again, with the idea that Lindsay Horan is going to have to sit further back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The U.S. looks good. It's one of those things where Mexico played pretty well. They really did. And the U.S., all, they just are a really good team. They look pretty good going into this tournament. Um, yeah, very so, hard to beat. Yeah, any final thoughts on that, party? Um, You know, I think we've learned a lot. I think basically what we know about this team, we know about this team. There isn't a lot left to learn, I think. It's just about will they be able to do it in the moment. And actually, probably really the only question is, which I don't think Mexico will test them much on, but the question is about a more defensively minded team, but they've been able to unlock those teams too. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. And they got more options than they did against Portugal. Yeah. And they did against Sweden too recently. So I guess the one other thing when you talk about being able to unlock teams and and whatnot is there was a discussion again about the possibility of the alternates. Uh, being part of the official team. So it would be a 22 player roster. Um, 
I'm going to be completely honest. So I, this, what I'm about to say could become outdated the moment I say it, but the way that Vlad Andonovsky phrased it makes me think probably that there will be 22 players available and you will have an 18 player roster uh, with every game, game day roster. Right. And so I would imagine that you are probably, I don't know for sure, but I would bet that like the IOC will require you to be in one of those game day 18s to be considered officially on the roster, right? Like you would be available, but you have to probably make a game day to be considered on that team. That's probably what it's going to be. What I think. Um, So for me, my thought process to that is first of all, great for those players, right? Lynn Williams, Jane Campbell, Katarina Macario, uh, Casey Kruger all deserve that opportunity, but also, oh my gosh, how do you beat a 22 player us like an 18 player us? Maybe you have a shot, right? But if they can pick their 18 healthiest, most ready to go players at any time, that just adds that like a whole level of difficulty to try to take that team down. Yeah. 100%. (laughs) I mean, maybe you just got to bet that the wrong player is left off the squad that day, but I don't, I mean, you, it takes a lot, I think, to even leave the wrong player off the squad that day. They just – it's down to that player pool. There are a lot of options. Even if you leave somebody really good off, you still have a boatload of really good players. And it's going to make a big difference for load management too, you would think, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. Right, Because that's that's the thing about the, this tournament. It just these games come so quickly and the squad is small. Yeah. Now, if you're getting rid of the small squad thing, man, good luck to everybody else. Right. I, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have a chance. I'm just saying good luck. Yeah, right. We don't right. We don't want to get too confident, but it's fair enough to say that one of the U.S.'s greatest strengths is their depth, and they're, that would give, be giving them an opportunity to play to that strength. Um, so we are recording this on, on Monday afternoon. Um, I'm going to kick this over. I'm going to kick this over to myself in the future. Uh, I'm going to talk to Jeff Kasuf tonight about he is at the game. Talk about the second friendly send off series friendly with Mexico. Um, so I'm going to kick this over to, to that. And then we will be back in just a moment with party to talk about NWSL action. All right. I am here joined this evening by Jeff Kasuf, who attended not only the Thursday night U.S. Women's National Team game, but also the game this evening against Mexico. Real quick, before we do any sort of analysis, they did win. The U.S. did win this game four to nothing uh, off goals by Lindsay Horan, Carly Lloyd, a Reyna Reyes own goal and a Tobin Heath goal all in the first half. Um, A tale of two halves for this one. Right, Jeff, do you think? Yeah, I mean, that first half, not just the four goals, but I think you can see, too, um, how productive the U.S. was in, in build-up play. Um, I think they could have had a couple more. Obviously, we can maybe talk about Vleko Anonofsky's comment about what the best combination and finish of the day was, and it wasn't one that counted for um, some some kind of funny reason, I guess. But it wasn't funny to him, I can tell you that. But, um, yeah, yeah, a pretty good first half from the U.S., um, and an improvement from, you know, Thursday, I don't think was a, a poor performance. I do think being here in person, I can tell you, I, I'm not sure what it looked like on TV because I've not watched it back, but it was a monsoon here. And I think mm. actually it was, it was quite impressive that the field held up the way it did. And yeah. the 21,000 people stayed in the stands because it was terrible, um, which I don't know if that was a huge factor. Nobody's really referenced that, but, you know, it wasn't the greatest game, but I don't think that it was, um, 
I don't think it was a poor performance on Thursday from the U S just a couple things that they weren't necessarily pleased with. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get into, let's get into the first half uh, of this one a little bit, maybe focusing on Lindsay Horan first. Um, she gets the first goal, right. But she was all over the place. It really kind of feels like this is with, with Julie Ertz, not on the field that they are giving Horan a lot of responsibility, both defensively and sort of getting box to box. What was it like to watch her performance in person, especially in that first half? Yeah, they are. They are giving her that freedom. And I think, you know, we came to learn after this game as well. I think we had assumed, I had assumed that these closed door games in Japan prior to the Olympics starting would be your traditional, like, Hey, we're going to go play whoever in a closed door, you know, a fellow Olympic team. And we learned post game here that that's actually intra-squad scrimmage, which I think, um, you know, the U S being the U S that's not a terrible thing for them in terms of talent level, but I think it's slightly different in terms of getting to see Ertz in some kind of action that is not, essentially a practice before mm-hmm. the Olympics start. So, you know, Haran in that six we've seen for the past couple months now, almost at this point. Um, and, you know, I think she's been good there. I think she's been very good, you know, clearly a, a solution. I think even with um, Christy Mewis has gotten some time at the 10 there. Mm-hmm. We saw Katarina Macario get a little bit of time and, you know, Rose Lavelle obviously on Monday as well. So I think that, you know, obviously Julie Ertz is, um, irreplaceable in the sense of who she is and how she plays and what that means to that system. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think Lindsay around has done quite well sliding into that six role. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it looks like she enjoys the ability to play make from a deep, deep position. And obviously it, it hasn't totally affected her getting forward because we saw six minutes right. into Monday's match that um, she hit the volley that she has been waiting for, for a long time. As she yeah. said, um, and formationally, I thought what they were doing in the first half was really interesting as well, because we actually saw, I feel like I, I, it's hard to remember at this point, but I do feel like Jill Ellis's U S women's national team did occasionally do that sort of lopsided pivot where they would have one outside back, really push forward frequently, like crystal Dunn, and then mm-hmm. have one outside back sort of stay home. And it seemed like even sometimes in this game, both outside backs would push forward. And then they had Haran come back to sit beside Dahl Kemper and Sauerbrunn to form a sort of a three back. And I just thought that was a really interesting look from the team in, in possession because Mexico, it seemed like did sit back a little bit more in this game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think that, um, you know, in some ways kind of just that progression that we've seen from the team, um, as you said, we kind of saw it a little bit with, with Jill Ellis. And, you know, I think that's kind of that role of the modern six is whether it's between the two center backs is probably usually the most common. And, and, right. you know, we did see her kind of slide to the right of, of Sauerbrunn and Dahl Kemper on Monday. Um, she was actually asked about that and, and said like, you know, it, it wasn't any, um, any kind of intent to be in the back line as much. It was just, you know, dropping to find the ball and, and being mobile, um, so, you know, I think in some ways it's something that we've been seeing, like to your point, I thought Thursday, especially, um, I actually asked Flacco and on Thursday after the game, like, was it an intent to overload the left? Because it was Crystal Dunn, Megan Rapino on that side. And then Kelly O'Hara had kind of, I thought sat home a little bit more, certainly a lot more than, than Crystal Dunn. But um, yeah, I think we've kind of seen that. Um, maybe we see it in a different way with Haran than we do with Ertz because, they do have some some different profiles in terms of how they play that role. But, you know, I, I think um, in some ways, 
you know, that's, that's the way we kind of expect the U S to build at this point. And, you know, I don't know if they can do that um, as comfortably against some other opponents um, with respect to Mexico, but right. you know, it's, it's something that I think we'll see more of. Were there any particular bright spots for you from Mexico in these two games? I know at home, it seemed like Maria Sanchez's form continued on onto this stage, especially in that first match. Um, but what, is there anything in particular that you saw from Mexico? Maybe again, specifically in that first match, because the second match just went, so poorly for them, I think early that they were sort of just trying to get their feet back under them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought the first match actually was a little bit harsh on Mexico in terms of the score. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that they came out disciplined defensively, uh, even post game, we heard from us players and black that they were impressed with, you know, I think that they did also call it the best Mexico team that they've seen. Becky mm-hmm. Sauerbrunn on Monday said, you know, she's used to kind of seeing them drop off a bit and, and they obviously didn't do that. Um, certainly Thursday. So, you know, I think to the degree that um, I think you can be impressed with Mexico to the degree that, you know, they were able to somewhat frustrate the U S um, in, in a, you know, while not being in a defensive shell, that's really what stood out to me. Like, you know, we talk about, I think we kind of maybe overuse the term bunker sometimes with some sure. of these, these opponents, but that's not what Mexico did on Thursday. They actually came out to play with, a defensive mindset had a couple of opportunities on the counter. Um, you know, you mentioned Maria Sanchez. Um, you know, I think so. That was, I, I think, holistically the thing that stood out to me, especially in that first match for Mexico, was just like under Monica Vergara, they appear to be more organized, mm-hmm. um, certainly defensively, and just have a bit more discipline. Um, and I think that we've seen that play out. And and it shouldn't be a surprise that like you know, they're playing more games against tougher opponents and they're starting to look better rather than um, umpteen stories of CONCACAF teams that don't play enough. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like you said, the fact that they've been more intentional with their, with their friendly schedule is clearly paying off. And I think that that's very cool. Um, So bigger picture stuff here. like you said, the conditions weren't great on Thursday. And I think you're right where the U S you know, they won four to nothing. And I think that that is, is good for them, but it was really kind of the first half of this second game where you watch this team and you think, Oh, they, they look ready. Right. Yeah, I think so. I I mean, you know, we've talked about going into, I think this was the narrative going into the 2019 world cup. It was last year before the Olympics got canceled. And I think still, like I'm sure someone will listen to this and scream at me that it's American bias, but like this is clearly, <laughs> this has to be the favorite, you know, right. that doesn't mean that that's how it ends on the podium, Sure, but this has to be the favorite. And I, I think we saw, we've seen more of the same. I would dismiss the idea that, you know, the opponents of late, I guess the past five games, you could say maybe have not been as high of quality. I would dismiss that and, and say like the actual things that the U S has wanted to work on. And that is, the build-up play, the combination in midfield into that final third have looked really sharp. And, and that's a product of what they're doing um, as much as it is any opponent. So, yeah, I think that they've looked sharp, they've looked good. And, you know, I'm curious to see how it goes in in the Olympics because I've just been sitting here thinking, and, and you know what, I could say, like, there's not much you can add, unfortunately, as you know, Claire, at the moment from being on site because right. – there's not much different. It's actually maybe a worse post-game experience because the internet's more choppy because everybody's using it. Sure. But, yeah. Um, you know, I think that the, th- there was way more media here on Monday 
than there was on Thursday. And it was that vibe of send off game. You know, it's basically, this is the time when all that attention comes. Right. And we're going to get that narrative of five years later, 2016 biggest failure in a major tournament. And I'm curious to see, you know, where, how that plays out and, and, you know, where the U S nets out on, Right. Um, making up for that because obviously part of that narrative in between they won a world cup. So, right. you know, uh, no, it is funny. Right. Because I think, I think you're totally right. And, you know, I, I recorded with Pardeep earlier today and we were very high on the U S right. We think that they look good, but it is very funny because you say all of those things and believe them to be true while also understanding that that does not for one second mean that they are going to win the gold medal in this tournament. So I guess that's kind of the fun of it, which is that the, the Olympics are a uniquely difficult thing to get through. Um, one thing that will make it a little bit easier. I want to ask you about your thoughts on the, I feel like I still am not 100% clear on what exactly the roster fluidity is. I know people have said that, um, 20, all 22 players will be available. They will pick game day 18s. They haven't really gone so far as to say the alternates are Olympians yet, which I think is interesting. Right. Um, what's your take on on that loosening of the rules? I was just about to say, I think a huge advantage for the U.S. just because of their depth. And and obviously, as one of the teams that kind of helped um, lobby for this, um, this is a roster. Those four alternates, or I guess we call them the, the four additional players maybe at this point, to right. your point. Um, you know, Vlako Nanovsky said last week that they made those choices with with it in mind that those might become available players anyway. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting wrinkle to the roster build. And um, yeah, I mean, my, my own reporting, I can say, I, I also have made note mentally that um, we have not really gotten word that they are quote unquote official Olympians because in the past alternates, you know, you win a gold medal an alternate does not get that medal. They don't stand on the podium. So um, I have to just logically assume that, if these players are getting into games, if that you they play were, in a game, yeah. you have to get a medal, right? <laughs> you, are, you are not yeah. s- suddenly like a uh, group one, a, uh, right. the four of them, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, essentially just for like clarity of, of anybody listening, it's a 22 player roster, much, much like maybe you would have in a league where you have a huge roster and you have to mm-hmm. pick an 18 player game day roster. But like in the past as quote unquote alternates, those four, once you swapped one, that was it. And right. it had to be because of an injury and you could do it at any time during the Olympics, but you make that change. And that player that's come in is now in that 18, you can't get that other player back. And the difference here is just going to be um, a little bit more availability, obviously to rotate where you have your choice of 22 that you can rotate throughout mm-hmm. is basically the, I think the clearest way that I can sure. probably describe that. Yeah. So any, any final thoughts about this week in, in Connecticut, it's a huge crowd, Seems like, like you said, people were excited, ready to send the, send the team off. They look pretty ready to go. Any final thoughts? I mean, personally, it was nice, I guess. I, I'm coming up with trying to come up with the words of sure. like, being back at a live game. I have not. Right. Last one for me was She Believes Cup it 2020. It's attendance record tonight, correct? Yeah, Monday was um, biggest crowd in Connecticut, which okay. I mean, really probably just means biggest crowd in this stadium because they're here a lot. I right. think it's. I've always wanted to write about like why they're here so often. Cause it's not a particularly impressive stadium or location and the traffic sucks, but <laughs> um, I think it's cheap rent is the short answer but, sure. um, and easy airport access. But um, yeah, just personally cool to be back at a game um, still 
you know, navigating our world where you don't actually interact with anybody anyway, but different perspective. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think in, in some ways, um, in some ways this team, I, maybe last one would be, you know, I was going to say it kind of felt a little bit routine. And I thought one interesting thing post game Monday was Lindsay Aran was asked about the environment of like playing maybe in front of no fans or few fans at the Olympics after a 27,000 crowd where you're back to normal. Um, and she said she didn't think it would be that much different because even in normal circumstances at a world cup, they are so protected mm-hmm. with security and not really allowed to go anywhere anyway, that they're kind of used to just being holed up into a hotel. Sure. So, um, maybe in some ways this is a semi-normal experience for them in yeah. some ways. Well, thank you, Jeff, for hopping on uh, live, you know, live from Connecticut. Uh, and, we, <laughs> and we will uh, cut back to cut back to our discussion on NWSL action. So thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. And we're back. So NWSL games. We had another round of five. I got to be honest. I love this 10 team league. I love that we just have very tidy match weekends. It's really nice to get to see everybody play. Um, again, we're just going to go chronologically. We're probably going to hit on one or two of these before switching over to the second half of the podcast. Um, let's start with Chicago versus Washington, uh, in Washington at Segra field. It was the, they finally got Segra field ready to go. Um, Chicago wins this actually one to nothing on a, uh, Julia Rodar own goal which was influenced by, we'll say influenced by Kayla Sharples. Kayla Sharples gets maybe the assist in a way uh, to, to the own goal there. Um, did this result surprise you, Pradeep? Yes, it did. Because, I mean, it was only last week where we thought Chicago were in real trouble. But I think this was easily their best performance of the season. They, I mean, they scored that goal pretty early on, but they stayed in the game throughout. They had a lot of chances. Honestly, they also scored another girl a goal if we want to talk about the refereeing. Right. It could it really should have been two nothing. Yeah. 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 And I what I, but it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think for the first time in a long time we're seeing a Chicago Red Stars team that is there, that stays in a match that that really, really I mean, it's, it's, it was really refreshing to see after a long time. Yeah. My thought on it is um, it feels a little bit like due to their squad makeup, Chicago has given themselves kind of a difficult task this season because they're not scoring tons of goals. So it requires a very compact defensive performance for them to get a result. And on the days where they can't do that, that's how you end up with a week like last week. But on the days where it's all clicking in the, in the back line, they can do stuff like they did against Washington. So for me, I'm not so sure that this was a surprise. I think it's more just, you don't know which red stars you're getting on the day. And when they do, when they play this, when they do exactly this, they get this result and, you know, no attacking fireworks, right? It was an own goal, but even that was influenced by a defender. Um, Again, Kalia Watt probably was robbed there, but that ref was not very good. He was letting a lot of fouls go as well. Um, and then switching over to Washington, the funny thing about this game to me is that actually this felt like the kind of game that Chicago and Washington have played 
for many years. <laughs> it's like this, that was the Chicago Washington style game where Washington had a lot of the ball. They were getting, they got their like 600 passes. They were passing a lot. Paige Nielsen was back in the starting 11 and their distribution was really solid. They were executing exactly what they wanted to do in terms of that possession, but they couldn't do anything dangerous in front of goal. And that is Washington's issue on the days where they are not their best selves, right? 100%. It was, this was, look, this was not a masterclass in finishing (laughs) from either team, but yeah, it's true. That's where, that is where if Washington are having a tough time, they're not going to win the game. They're just not going to win the game. And I, they, they, I wouldn't say they played poorly. I, I see what they're trying to do. Again, they're executing that game plan relatively nicely, but I just think they were, they were missing that going forward. You, you summed it up very nicely. That, that's kind of the story of the game for them. Yeah, they were. Chicago was able to contain Ashley Sanchez pretty well, and Trinity Rodman did have to leave the match um, with a. I don't really want to necessarily call it an injury, but it seems like she has some issues with her with her back muscles, some back spasms, and we saw some of that earlier in the season. And I, I recall even just during halftime or at the beginning of the second half of this game, she was on the stream, and you could kind of see that she was sort of holding her back and looking a little bit uncomfortable, and then after a challenge uh, in the second half, I think that pain level went from like a five to a 10 very suddenly. Um, and she had to leave. <clears throat> so that's something for Washington to have to manage and, and work on. And you want to be really careful to let something like that heal. Uh, and an issue with, with back stuff like that is could maybe she just needed a massage or maybe it's something that needs a little bit more work. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, without Rodman, they struggled to to really get anything going, but also just credit to Chicago. I just think that Sharples had a really good game. They still had Casey Kruger available, which I think was really useful, and it was very good for them to get a result with her there because I think, again, that back line gets stretched even thinner when she is gone. Um, but, yeah, just kind of goes to show that you, you maybe have two teams on different trajectories in this match, but – some of their DNA has kind of remained the same. So we saw a little bit of Chicago DNA there and we saw a little bit of Washington DNA there. Um, So we're going to do one more, one more match, which was uh, one of this was the big, one of, one of the big rain delays Uh, Gotham hosting Kansas city. One, 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 one draw Uh, Gotham opens up the scoring uh, with a a strike from Ifioma Animanu in Kansas city late in this match. Mariana Larroquette scores the goal of the century (laughs) to tie this up. So how funny is it that we talk a lot about (laughs) Gotham's XG, right? Their XG against and how they're overperforming. And there are all of these tap-ins that their opponents can't strike. And that is the goal that Gotham gives up. (laughs) I know. And KC, honestly, we're not doing a lot going forward that day. They just, and out of nowhere. This gorgeous goal. They and they that they stole a point with that gorgeous goal. But look, if you score if you score a goal that good, you can have the point. That's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to feel for Amani Dorsey. It was her 
her uh, turnover that that led to that. And you could see, I, I recommend watching the clip of, of this goal. Please go find it. Um, because Imani Dorsey makes a back pass that just doesn't have quite enough on it. Laroquette pounces. Imani Dorsey does everything she can to sprint back. And Laroquette lets this one rip. And, it, and at the moment it goes into the back of the net, Imani Dorsey just falls to the ground. Like, oh my God, first of all, I can't believe I did that. And then also I can't believe that went in like that. And so just a massive, massive goal. That has to be some of the best vibes that Kansas City has had all year, right? Maybe that's like a spark you would hope. One can hope. Like I said, they just did not, I, I did not find it in, in, in that game and an encouraging performance going forward. But yeah, like you said, I hope it can be a spark because this is a team that even though, you know, we talk about winnable games and teams winning those games, they are not an easy team to play. They still they have bright spots in probably all of their matches. They hang in there. They, I mean, like I said, it wasn't an impressive performance going forward, but they were able to restrict Gotham a little bit. One can hope truly this is a spark. I don't think you want to watch another team go winless or almost winless this long or, you know, at any point. So, you know, one can only hope it can be a spark. I don't know if it will be, but that's the hope. And then on Gotham's end, I mean, we should acknowledge here, you know, we have no update. Like I said, we're recording this on, on Monday afternoon. It's possible that news will break before this comes out. But uh, Elise LeHue is on what they called personally away from the club. And it seems like that is a uh, circumstances that people are still trying to pin down kind of what's going on there. So, we don't, I, we don't know, uh, but that is where the story is at right now. So Gotham, I don't, I don't know if that's something that influences a team's performance. I mean, we'll talk about that also when we get to OL Reign in the next segment, but um, Gotham kind of had sort of a challenge cup E performance in this game. I felt yeah. where they had those moments where everything was clicking, but then there were long stretches of the game where they struggled to, to sort of impose their style of play. And so I think it's interesting that we're still seeing some of that inconsistency from them because they should have put this game away and they weren't able to. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, they, they remain an inconsistent team. They're, they have been this way for a very long time. They were, they were like this last year too, during the challenge cup where they opened up with that. I mean, they did almost nothing in that game and then they ended up, of being Challenge Cup semifinalists, they have to find a way to be more consistent. They just have to. All of the pieces seem to be there. I mean, or I mean, more like the foundation seems to be there. Yeah, but I also don't want to be too harsh on them because they did get a point out of this game, and um, I think that they are maintaining quality with a very similar level to many other teams sort of in the mix for these right playoff spots so i think it just goes to show that this is a really really competitive league yeah it's right. a cool year we, this is a very very cool nwsl year because things are not it's really hard to pin to pin stuff down a little bit right it's so, hard there are no teams that you can easily beat that's yeah, good and right. before and i think before we change if yeah. we want to talk about positives for gotham yeah go for it if Monu, yeah is been she has been such a great addition to this team since she joined last year they will be 
they're in very capable hands without Carly Lloyd. She, I mean, she's just been great for them this year and she will be, I don't, I do not know how you take her out of the lineup. Yeah. When Carly the, Lloyd comes back. The, the funny thing about Animanu is that, right. She struggles to get into the starting 11, but every time she's on the field, she does something, whether it's coming off the bench or starting. And yeah, I think she's really good centrally. I think she's a fantastic number nine. I am less, and, and you're right with Carly Lloyd, but I'm also like, how do you get her on the field with Evelyn Vienne? Like, how do you start yeah, building true. that chemistry? And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if, or I hope maybe that there's a little bit more competition between Ani Manu and maybe Paige Monahan when Paige Monahan comes back from her injury. And it's hard because that would mean pushing Ani Manu out wide and that's not necessarily her best space. But I think for, for my money, you put Midge Purse on the left, you put Evelyn Vienne in the middle and you put Ifeoma Animanu on the right. And then if you want, you can put Carly Lloyd in, in behind that as, as kind of the false nine in the tent. And I think that that is a good team. I um, think it's better to have Anumanu on the field than not. Agreed. Very yeah. much agreed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was part one. We will be back in just a moment with part two, and we will talk about the next three NWSL games that happened this weekend. All right, we are back with part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined this week by Pardeep Katri. Uh, Once again, going to ask you guys to rate and review. It helps people find us. It it helps us with discovery. Uh, Give us a five-star review on your podcast streaming services and leave us a nice review. We might be picking some and reading them on the podcast. So say something nice and uh, maybe maybe your message will get featured, featured on the pod. So we have three more games to talk about here. Uh, another rain delayed game. And then we have one. Uh, it was kind of an interesting schedule, right? We had three games on, on Friday and then one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday. So the last Friday game that we're going to talk about is Houston Dash hosting OL Rain. Two nothing win for the Dash. Uh, goals from Jasmine Spencer and Katie Naughton. We got to start with OL Rain though first. Uh Fareed Benstidi resigned this week after it was our, it was equalizers, John Halloran, who broke the news, I think on Twitter that he did not travel with the team to Houston. And then pretty quickly following that, they announced that he had resigned. This was on game day. Uh, Yeah. And I think what they said after the match was that the team, the team knew earlier in the week that this was happening. They knew that he wasn't traveling. Uh, So it wasn't a shock to them, but it all happened really quickly um i mean it was a shock to probably the rest of us yeah so thoughts on thoughts i thoughts on side of, it's like barely new yet thoughts on on ben steedy's uh era here in the nwsl i it was just a it always felt like it was a work in progress and it was a pretty small sample size from him i mean he had what the little time in the challenge cup last year in the fall series last year and you're like okay fine maybe that's only a little bit of time to drill in your ideas, your philosophy. And then, you know, this season isn't that old, even with the challenge cup beforehand. And now we're, I don't know, we're probably like everybody's played like 12 or something games. Not even we're like at nine. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, like it's not a lot of time. Yeah. And I was willing to give that project the benefit of that doubt, but I don't know. I guess this project, the Fareed Benstidi experiment at 
OL Rain will always be unfinished. I guess it, that's all that is to it. Yeah, it always seemed like a little bit of an odd fit, to be completely honest. When they hired him, it seemed like a little bit naive, maybe, uh, to the realities of this league, which was felt odd because Bill Predmore is one of the most seasoned and, and knows the most about this league as anybody. Um, and I think that there is a reality, and I do think that that's what we're seeing from Al Rain, not just from the coaching, but from the some of the players as well, is that the NWSL has a harsh learning curve to joining this league. And Mark Skinner went through it, right, when he joined Orlando, and he changed a lot about what he wanted to do once he was presented with the realities of competing in this league. I'm not sure Fareed Benstidi ever quite did that, or I'm not sure the club had faith that he would. And it's interesting to me because, because of the squad that they've assembled, I don't think they're trying to put together a run and gun NWSL style team. So they're going to need a coach who is really good to be able to take the qualities that this roster has and apply it to actually winning games in the NWSL. Yeah. Yeah. I thought even if you were going to try something like this, it was always going to just take some time. Right. And, you know, this is, this is a really interesting first assessment of a big decision from OL group owning this team. I, I think it is down to that learning curve, but they can't get out of this situation that easily now with the players that they have. I think they have a big job ahead of them. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Um, I will say that I like that. I, I mean, no, no disrespect to Ben Steedy, but I do like that. They acted quickly. I think that that shows that they, the, the excellence that they want to have, they do not want to have a middling club. Uh, and they found those results unacceptable. Um, and except you try to find a coach now, or maybe you run with an interim for the rest of the season, but there's a lot of roster management still to be done when the Olympics are over, they're going to have to either waive or put out on loan a certain number of players because their roster is really oversized right now. And so making those decisions is going to be the job of, of the next coach. Plus trying to get this particular group winning games. Uh, they have some defensive issues, which we saw in, in this match still, you know, Alana cook still had kind of a rough game. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that this is not what OL Reign wanted. And I think that this is going to be a difficult thing for them to extricate themselves from. 100%. It's an ambitious task yeah. for them well, from the beginning to decide we're going to bring someone like Ben Steedy in um, and honestly set up a team in such a way that's very different from other NWSL teams. I'm not saying that's inherently a bad idea and it might just mean it, it, it might be something that they decide we just need somebody else to do it right but they've just got a lot of work ahead of them it'll be interesting to follow though i gotta say oh yeah no it's fascinating i and, and i would love to see it start working you know it's one i i think that it would be very cool if they were able to to turn this around absolutely um, but let's talk about the dash because they did win this game um So we had questions, I had questions about the Dash without some of their internationals. Specifically, I was thinking, what are they going to do on the wings? Because 
Maria Sanchez, her loan has ended. They have Christy Mewis out. They have Nichelle Prince out. They are a team that thrives when they can really kill you on the wings. So enter in Jasmine Spencer. Uh, Question like answered, right? Yeah, totally. She... I mean, she had that pretty great goal. Yeah. I think she she scored the first one. Yes, yes, she yes, did. yes. She started the scoring there, but she had a great game. She it it's nice to see a player and a team fit from almost the get go. It the dash continue to answer those questions now that they're a team that people have expectations of. They. Look again. I know they won the challenge cup last year, and it's they didn't win it this year. And it might be hard to follow up, you know, with another trophy necessarily. But this is a team that has gone leaps and bounds. They continue to answer those questions about not just being competitive, but maybe being in the playoff cont- uh, conversation. Maybe not being one of the top three teams in the league. Maybe not competing for that top spot. Maybe not, com- uh, but they're compete. They're maybe in the next. Uh, tear down they keep finding solutions to these you know these good problems because they now have players that are national team level that get to go to the olympics and stuff that's technically a good thing at least for those players yeah but like i said they keep answering the problems that come when your team is good yeah and i i want to really commend james clarkson because I think that, you know, he has sometimes the dash don't always look like they have the the most complete or nuanced or um, maneuverable tactical ideas. Sometimes they come out like a little bit flat tactically, but he has to be one of the best talent and player evaluators in the entire league. What he's done with this dash team, Um, the players that he's moved out of the squad, the players that he's brought into the squad, he has been dead on the money a lot. And I think that that is very cool to see someone who is clearly a high level talent evaluator. And that's why you get someone like Jasmine Spencer, who we all know can play in this league and has, but he's like, no, actually I'm going to throw her into this system and it's going to work. And then it did. And I think that that's great. And he keeps finding players in the league too, for the most part. It's just, it's just finding players that maybe aren't in the right place. Right. And knowing that they can fit his system and exactly plans he has for them. It's honestly been a really, really fun thing to watch over the last, what, couple of years now. Yeah. The one thing I will say for Houston in terms of the future is I think they're going to miss Sophie Schmidt a lot. I think that that is one player that they did have this weekend that they are going to miss quite a lot. And that's, is going to be a big task. I think for Gabby Seiler, who we've seen play, she's played center back and she played defensive mid for, for Portland. And I think that I would at least put her into that role. And so we'll see how things go going forward, but they also, I think, again, we're boosted by having their alternates available. Um, and then we'll just kind of see how things go when everyone is gone. So moving out of Friday on to Saturday's game, uh, Louisville, hosted the Portland Thorns. Portland wins this two to nothing on a Rocky Rodriguez penalty and a very nice header from Simone Charlie. Uh, Emily Menges gets her first NWSL assist. I thought that was a very fun stat. I know. Isn't that funny? Uh, I don't know this game, you know, Louisville, again, they, they just kind of ride there. They're riding the, the ups and the downs. Right. And Portland was able to really contain 
Ebony Salmon and Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill. And that was pretty much the basis of that Portland performance was that they were defensively very smothering. And then they were basically just kind of living in Louisville's half. Um, But, you know, the biggest thing that came out of this game was something that happened in the last 10 minutes after the game was really just kind of over. This game was sort of, you know, rolling to its end. And we saw the teenager, Olivia Moultrie, subbed in youngest player in NWSL history to play in an NWSL game, 15 years old. Uh, I, I don't know if I have much commentary on it. I don't know. What, how'd, you, how'd you think she did? Well, I mean, she's a 15-year-old who was playing her first professional minutes and only had like 10 minutes. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, she did to- totally fine. I, the yeah. thing that I just kept saying was I couldn't really point her out that much, but that's a good thing because, yeah. you know. <laughs> She didn't look too, she didn't look right. undersized or like she wasn't ready for that level or anything like that. But I don't think she was asked to actually do very much, right. but she didn't look completely out of her depth, right. which is great. Right. But for her first 10 minutes, you know, sure. Very good. Get her worked in. I think that she will play during this Olympic period. Um, Portland needs her in terms of just the numbers. Um, I've said this before. I think Portland is set up really well to do very well during this stretch. Their depth is finely tuned. Um, what I mean, I guess maybe my question is, did you think, do you ever think sometimes when Portland gets even like more simple with the players away, sometimes it's a little bit easier for them to get results? Yeah. Yeah. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, th- th- look, there is such a thing as overthinking or overcomplicating. I would know I do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, but. It's not even just, I, I don't want to outright accuse them of overcomplicating things. Just that what it's another we, ambitious project, right? Though, right? It's just yeah. something that will take time. I think right. to drill in that, that that's really, I think the main takeaway there, but it, this is a team that even if you keep things simple, there's the squad building and the talent on it. They're able to handle a task like that pretty easily. And we all know that this is a team that's better than their uh, that than Louisville. They were better than their opponents. They were always the favorites going into that match. It does come down to just winning the winnable games, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, right, and you even just look at like the goal scorers, Rocky Rodriguez and Simone Charlie. Those are two players that every other team in the league would kill to have, and mm-hmm. they are not the quote unquote like top line stars of the Portland Thorns, but they are really, really good. Um, yeah, for Louisville, I, again, you just can't sweat these too much. There's going to be games that you win. There's going to be games that you lose. Uh, you probably want to work a little bit more on your problem solving when you're not getting a lot of the ball. I think that they still have some, some roster imbalance that makes it specifically very difficult for their attackers to get the ball. Sometimes when they lose, when they lose that, that midfield and they just can't get anything going in the midfield, um, there's not a lot that someone like Ebony Salmon can do. Uh, or you maybe end up with someone like Yuki Nagasato giving up a penalty because she's trying to defend, you know, that yeah. kind of a stuff. So again, Louisville shake this one off. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta hold your wins close and you gotta, gotta let the win, let the losses go. Um, but yeah, so this one was pretty standard. And I think this is maybe a good way to seg into the last game of, of the weekend, which is that, you know, the season is long we're starting to see some of these perennial contenders begin to rise to the top of the table. Portland has put a good stretch of games together. 
Um, and like I said, I, I anticipate that continuing throughout this stretch. The team now at the top of the table, I actually have more questions about during this period, <laughs> but they got the job done on Sunday, 4th of July. Uh, North Carolina went to Orlando and won two to nothing with goals by Davinia and Havana Salon. No defense, just vibes in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. This, I mean, minus the goalkeeping. I thought the goalkeepers. The goalkeeper. You know job. what? That's true. That's yeah. so true. Yes, the goalkeeping was very good. Both Casey Murphy and Ashlyn Harris had had very good games. Um, but it just was like, yeah. So neither team's defense was amazing. There were lots of shots from both both teams. Uh, North Carolina was just a little bit more clinical in front of goal. If you look at the XG map of this one. Orlando was getting a lot of opportunities, but none of them were that good. And so that's where you got a lot of sort of slow shots to the keeper and they weren't able to turn that into, into the result that they needed. Um, Is there anybody, this is, I think that I, I feel like we've talked about her on this podcast before, but it just feels like it's worth saying again, the, the hinge of all of this for North Carolina just really seems like it's Abby Ursag though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, really. I mean, I remember a million years ago slash a few months ago when we thought, oh, maybe North Carolina Courage can pretend to be the underdogs that they or maybe they can kind of be the underdogs they always pretend to be and they won't be the best team in the league. And they struggled in those early games. Uh, But really, since Abby Ursic has come back, it's just been it's the it's like the old North Carolina courage again it's like the basis of everything that they do right and truly it is that that idea of that defensive foundation and even even with her there this weekend you could see some of the stretching um, of that defense I think that the number one thing for North Carolina is to try to maintain as much quality in the back line as they possibly can while she's away um, you know, I think it's possible that they'll only lose her for a couple of games, right? Uh, New Zealand has a real tough task ahead of them to try to get out of their, their group. They're in that group with Australia, Sweden, and the U S so it's a tough draw for them. Um, but the fact that they got this result is good. And the fact that they got it against Orlando, who again, they didn't give up, right? Like they were in this game. It was a really fun game to be completely honest, which happens when there yes. isn't a lot of defense. Um, I thought that Orlando's mindset was very good. I just think that they, again, struggled to be particularly dangerous in front of North Carolina's goal. And despite having a lot of quote unquote opportunities, and then you just maybe did see that the Orlando back line is improving a lot, but it's still a little bit thin. And so they had some injuries for some, some personnel changes back there and that, you know, they also, it could have been three, nothing. There was a save, you know, shout out to Ashton Harris and also rough penalty taken by Lynn Williams, not a great pen to be completely honest, but, um, some issues in that Orlando back line that shows that they maybe have a little bit more roster things to do to bolster that. Some growing pains on the way to the top. Right. (laughs) Or more like they go to the top and then there are some growing pains. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) As they try to stay there. Um, but like credit to them, right. Uh, Amy Turner got her first minutes for Orlando in that game. They just announced today that they, um, acquired, uh, defender Kylie Strom. And so they are, they know, I think that the whole thing with Orlando is that 
it's clear that they are taking a very intelligent and nuanced approach to their own roster construction and they know where their weaknesses are. And it's not surprising to me that you saw some of the vulnerabilities of that back line. And then they keep announcing that they're trying to sign new people to, to help because they are also going to be missing Ali Riley, who is also leaving to go play for New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like hitting the alarm bells for Orlando, but they have lost two games in a row now and playoff team. Yes. Shield contender, maybe not. Yeah. But I think if we're comparing to expectations from, you know, the start of the season, I'm not too worried about them. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. And like I said, it was a solid perform like they were doing things. It was a solid performance. It just it was just a, a matter of degrees a little bit. Um so yeah, sloppy game, sloppy but fun. Uh yes. in- indicative of maybe how these two teams are going to be executing throughout this period, but the realities of of this particular Olympic period is that it's possible that nobody looks all that great, but that doesn't mean that you can't have some fun soccer games. Uh, because when you do, when you stretch the depth a little bit, my hope is that we get the anti-challenge cup. So we're not hitting a lot of zero, zero draws. We're just getting some, some flubs and some nice strikes and, um, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of chaos. Yeah. It's what the NWSL thrives on. And and like you said this year, you know, I, I, you know, I, I cover Chicago. So I spoke to Rory Dames after, after their match against Washington. And he said that he didn't think that this table he thinks that the table is going to come down to maybe the last six games of the season because mm, yeah. things are so that. tight that you win two or three games in a row and suddenly you've jumped five spots or something and i think that that's probably true i it's it's likely that we will see a shield winner who has maybe won before right we know kind of who is gunning for that but i do think that when you look at those six playoff spots it's kind of still topsy turvy and I don't know exactly when things are going to start shaking out, but I agree that it's going to, it's going to be not at the halfway point of the season. Right. Yeah. I think probably the closest you'll get is maybe you'll have some defined tiers. Like, okay, these two or three teams are definitely shield contenders and these two or three teams are probably not going to make the playoffs, but then everything else probably could go a lot of different ways depending on who's clicking when and who's not and that what an exciting prospect that is i know it's like uh, the nwsl as promised right yes yeah awesome so that was this week's edition of the equalizer podcast thank you so much pardeep for joining me uh shout out to our producer extraordinaire jacqueline purdy i have been your host claire watkins and we will join you with i'm sure a whole other slate of news and games next time